Welcome to Prompted by Nature, a weekly podcast that explores the connection between nature and creativity through storytelling. Each week, we'll dive into heartfelt conversations with the humans working in and with nature to support our planet and the creatures, including us, that inhabit it. Each conversation is punctuated by a meditation and writing prompt created by me, Helen, a meditation teacher, writer and outdoor creativity guide to help you to explore the issues and topics covered in a more meaningful and creative way. Because when we allow ourselves time and space to deeply listen and connect, we bring ourselves closer to a place in which we can truly live prompted by nature. to episode 14 of Prompted by Nature and today is the final episode of this series. I'm now in the process of interviewing new voices and I'm so excited about what's to come this year. Next week will be a solo episode from me summing up everything I've learned from this series guests, where things are now and a hint at what's to come but that's for next week. I also wanted to take a little moment to do some shameless self-promotion and say that for any locals, my next creativity and meditation day retreat is Thursday the 20th of August at Wilderness Woods in East Sussex. This is a day of nature connection in which you'll create, write, spend some alone time in the woods and some group time with like-hearted women. I now only have two spaces left, so if that sounds interesting to you and you'd like to find out more, pop over to the events page on my website, www.promptedbynature.co.uk. And my weekly meditation and creative writing classes are also now up and running in Stammer Park Woods in Brighton. All information for that is also on my events page. So anyway, back to today's episode. Today you'll be hearing from the lovely Karen Collins of Scotland-based weaving and natural arts company Naturally Useful. Naturally Useful is based at the Pole Barn at Marquesi Farm, a family-owned organic small holding nestled in the fertile plains of the Lake of Moray in northeast Scotland. Karen has a passion for using materials that are locally sourced or grown by herself using her own willow, which she grows on her own acre of land. Karen grows 25 different varieties of willow and grows plants for plant dyeing. She also sources wool from local farmers, which she uses in her non-skin rugs and tapestries. Karen is inspired by the land and gathering and sourcing her materials from the space around her to then transform into beautiful, useful products that enrich people's homes and enliven their souls. Karen uses her skills to teach and empower others through her gap year programme and ongoing courses, which she runs at her workshop. She says that all anything takes is practice, practice, practice. For Karen, making is a meditation, and as she says in the episode, when her hands are busy, her mind is still. She believes firmly that learning by doing is a fundamental path to self-expression, and that through creative engagement in a task, we can connect to oneself, the natural world, and the finished product, developing confidence in ourselves. In this episode, we discuss... Karen's background in fashion design and how she came to found Naturally Useful, her workshop and living space in North East Scotland, her passion for supporting local makers through natural crafts, 
the effect that lockdown has had on her business, coffin and shroud making and end of life care, the beauty of imperfection, her gap year programme and the importance of passing on skills that will empower others to create their own products for years to come, what her creativity and her connection to nature means to her, what her journey has taught her and what she'd like to pass on. I first found Karen on Etsy when I was looking to treat myself to a handmade wicker basket for my bike. I have my son on a seat at the back of my bike, so having a basket is easier than trying not to hit him in the face with my bag constantly. I was enamoured by the fact that Karen grows all of the willow she uses just outside her own front door and hand weaves them herself, and so was thrilled when she agreed to be on the podcast. You can find Karen on her website, www naturallyuseful.co.uk where you can also find out more about her gap year program hint you don't have to be 18 to do it and it's very tempting (laughs) her work and all her courses and retreats the shop link there will also take you through to her beautiful etsy shop which you can also find by searching naturally useful on etsy.com and is full of hand-woven treasures like the hanging baskets karen speaks about urns hand baskets for all your foraging needs bike baskets like mine, and lots more. You can also find her on Instagram and Facebook at Naturally Useful. As always, you can find me over on Instagram at prompted.by.nature or on my website www.promptedbynature.co.uk. And if you enjoy this or any of my other episodes, please do give it a five-star review and leave a comment if you have time. Thank you again for listening and supporting these voices. The past 14 episodes, well, 28 if you include the meditations and writing prompts, have been such a joy to put together and have inspired me in so many ways, which I'll tell you about next week. Remember to stick around until the end when I'll give you a little insight into the meditation and writing prompt that follows this episode. Enjoy the conversation and I'll speak to you after. I've always been some kind of maker even when I was young my nana mm-hmm. taught me how to sew and then I trained as a fashion designer which is oh, I don't wow. I certainly don't dress like a fashion designer <laughs> <laughs> <I> run around <laughs> um but I think the fashion design was more that I could create I could make something from nothing mm. you get a roll of cloth and you can make a pattern and then you can make some clothes that people wear mm. so from even from very young I liked that whole the holistic way of working where you take everything right back to its core although I didn't make the fabric then but you take everything right back to its material its core how it's mm. grown and that's where um, naturally useful came from I was a I was a handwork and craft teacher in Steiner schools for about 15 years while my children were growing up oh wow yeah so it was very handy I've always because I'm so crafty and I do lots of different things from candle making to batik and sewing and you know, I did lots and lots of different things so I was the perfect craft teacher <laughs> in the schools <laughs> um, and then I've, I've also worked in Camp Hills with mm-hmm. special needs and in one particular place in Edinburgh they were turning from a, a school into a training centre and so they needed they needed workshops so I said oh I'll set up a workshop I'll set up a craft workshop wow. so I got a lovely space in a barn on the farm they had mm. a farm there um very rough rustic you know place but yeah. uh, 
so we started making we started spinning and felting and we when the when the sheep were slaughtered we tanned the skins mm-hmm. um and then they had willow on the farm and i said oh i'd like to do some basket making so i went off and did a course in basket making and absolutely loved it and came back to the farm and then i what I loved was just being able to go and gather my own materials mm. from the head and the willow and then come back into the workshop and make something that was useful and strong and practical. So that's where it all really stemmed from as well, this whole being able to go into nature, gather something up, come back and make something from it that is useful. Mm. I'm not so much into the contemporary and fancy things, really. I'm into more the practicality. Mm-hmm. Like slog baskets, you know, um, and the creativity comes in that with the weave and the colour and the styles. But mm-hmm. I do like the practicality of being able to use something, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. And then when I left the Steiner School, I thought, what do I, what is, what would I like to do mostly for the rest of my life? I'm fifty in my fifties now, so I'm coming towards the end side. I thought. I'd, I just loved being in the workshop. I love making. So I thought, I've got to, I've got, that's what I've got to do. Mm. I've got to find a way to be able to make my living and do what I actually love doing. So luckily my children left home and I downsized into a two-room cabin with a compost toilet wow. right wow. opposite my workshop. Oh, dream. So <laughs> I have a, so I have this lovely little cabin. It's gorgeous and it's incredibly warm um but very small very quick to clean and tidy and then my workshop i have the a huge workshop which is a pole barn so that's whole trees so the the, the barn is made out of whole trees and then infilled with wood with a huge wood burning stuff so it's quite um it, it's an awesome awesome inspiring place it's a bit like merlin's cave if you can imagine yeah, it what, sounds incredible herbs and things and all oh. kinds of hanging about and <laughs> so it's a little bit like it is very much like that and so because I downsized and don't need to make a huge amount of money to live off, mm-hmm. like pay huge rents, I don't pay huge rents or things like that. And the bills are very cheap because I don't have much running off it. <laughs> um, I can earn my living from my craft, really. Mm. Yeah. So that's what I do. Um, I started off myself and um, about eight years ago and uh, started honing my skill I could do lots of different crafts to a certain level a jack of all trades and master of none I would call <laughs> myself but I wanted to hone it more in the felting and the and and particularly the willow so I worked for two years on my own made baskets and sold them to the locals and local markets made baskets and sold more then started doing exhibitions and and um, um and and galleries and it just went from there. Then I, and then I thought, I, to make more of a living, I need. We need more makers. We need to be able to produce enough to to make a business work. So I um I'm I I just happened to meet a young chap on the dunes, and he was only eighteen at the time, and um, he came and helped me plant. We were just about to plant. We just bought the field, a four four acre field, which was perfect for willow growing because it has a a burn on two sides okay I was after it for about three years and then <laughs> they sold me finally <laughs> so we planted an acre of willow me and this young wow. chap 
volunteers, um, health and wellbeing groups came out and helped us plant 25,000 pegs of willow. Wow. Four years ago in, tw in 12 different varieties. It's fantastic, actually. It's such a... Um, it's been such a fulfilling experience planting that and now we're completely self-sufficient on our on our um, willow apart from the wow. coffin you have to buy some in for the coffins mm -hmm. but, um, otherwise we just completely use the willow that we grow mm. fantastic i was going to ask you about the coffins actually because i found it really interesting about because i know in terms of yeah coffin making there is more of a push to the kind of more eco-friendly options and I wondered how that came into, because it's one thing to make a bike basket and it's another thing. Do you know what it feels like? You know, it's another thing to make um, a coffin. They feel very different, I guess. Life, death, maybe not. But how did that, how did that, how did that come in? How did you start that? Um, well, I suppose I've, been, I've also been a carer for end of life um, people mm -hmm. being there when people have died when um, when my children were younger and I needed to earn some some extra money I just did a bit of care work and I was always in a private realm so it's always end of life that I always worked with and I have quite an affinity to um, people taking their last breath I'm very calm it doesn't freak me out I'm just mm -hmm. a calming presence and um, yeah so i've I've been involved in that area for quite some time, and then I just saw saw willow coffin so mm, I'd quite like to make a willow coffin and actually you know it's it's the same as a bike basket in a way it's the same techniques but yeah. just bigger scale and thicker willow mm -hmm. if you look at it that way um so I took myself off on a course as a one to one with a, a chap down in the borders here in Scotland. and um I had some willow ready in the workshop for when I came back, so he took me through the process. And uh, I came back and just made another one and made another one and made another one. And I can't tell you how many I've made now. And so we, we sell them and it, it varies. It does vary. Sometimes we'll might sell four in a month or then we might stop not have some for two months. And then suddenly we'll get three and then a month, nothing. And then suddenly we'll get another one. So it's a little bit up and down, but um, I think that's purely because the undertakers do supply a, a Polish import um much cheaper but um i still feel that as as um i always i can always imagine i'm very much into a local economy and yeah. we have to we have to support our local businesses so i'm i'm um I, i'm i'm i just want to sit with that coffins f forever really because it, we can supply to the local community i don't need to send to london i don't need to send to the north of scotland you yeah. know we could just i can i could supply my own village really town <laughs> it, and we would have a, a flourishing business with lots of makers if everybody if everybody supported a local uh, producer yeah absolutely but i'm still pushing it i still talk to the undertakers endlessly talk to <laughs> <laughs> you should only supply the local ones <laughs> yeah because also then then the um the earth knows the willow as well as the person yes it's quite poetic but yes. it feels like there's that kind of um that nod or that acknowledgement that they're all part of the same thing have come from the same thing and going back to the same thing because i, I energy don't they? i feel like the old mm. they hold an energy because somebody's put their life and soul into making it mm. rather than 
interesting when you see when you see other other the regular baskets you get in the shop there's no life force to it they're all exactly the same with hardly anything that's wrong but when you get somebody that's handmade um mm. there might be something that's slightly not quite right there's a little kink here mm. and this you know my coffin to one of the other makers coffins is 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 quite different mm. you know? because my energy is different to the other other maker. Mm. Do you feel quite connected? You talked about the, that kind of energy. Do you feel quite connected to that when you're creating? Is there, is there a kind of, um, I guess, meditative um, aspect to it? And, and then, yeah, connecting to that energy, as you, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because I've, I've grown the willow. Mm. I've it grow we've cut the willow i've graded it into size and bundled it up so i it, it's yeah it's come really that the intimacy is really there on the forefront mm. and then making you know so because i've grown the willow and i know it i've touched it three or four times before i've even got to the basket yeah <laughs> um yeah so there's definitely a, a big energy there mm. i think sometimes as well just thinking about the coffins there can be quite a stigma around death and this i you know people quite often don't want to speak about it or just even admit that it's something that you know none of us can get away from essentially and i wonder if the fact that like you say you're such a calming presence when you were working in end of life care whether part of that comes from how close you are to nature and the earth I think um, there was something that went a bit funny there, so I hope I answered. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I went a bit quirky. Um, I think when people come to the workshop to see the coffins, um, and because it is quite a quite an unusual barn, it's got it has got a presence about it when you walk in. It's a, it's all wood and these these poles, and then you walk into the into the we've got like a showroom where we have the baskets and coffins there. Um, it does bring people people they do suddenly go oh and this yeah. sigh comes out of them as if to as if they acknowledge like okay we are all going to die yeah. it. there's there's certainly something happens when they come and see them yeah. yeah and the conversations that come about as well it is beautiful and i am always amazed actually this how people can come around I, i've been to so many different exhibitions there's one particular couple they said to me, um, the, I was showing the coffins and they said, oh, I don't like this. And, and why, do I, why would I want to spend, and just, I could just go in a plastic bag or I to spend one of yours or I could just get, well, get, you know, get something cheap from the undertaker. And I said, have you got grandchildren? Mm. And they said, yeah, we've got, they had quite a few grandchildren. I said, any of them like drawing and making things? Oh yeah, we've got three of them. One likes drawing and da, da, da. I said, imagine if one of your grandchildren would want to become a basket maker. Hmm. And there wasn't any basket makers around. I said, but you know, you're lucky because we've got a company right next to you in the next town. They could come to us and learn. As soon as I said that, it, something switched in them. Mm. And they thought, of course, and they bought two there and then. Wow. So it's not just that we've got a product. It's the fact, or I think also what gives the energy is that we're teaching people how to do it. Mm. We're empowering people that you also can make a basket. It might be quirky the first few, but mm. with practice, it'll get better and better and better. Mm. And and when you, because it might have been that this bit broke up, but when when you're actually making 
the basket because I, I was wondering about the fact that you are so like you said you're very caring in end of life care like you've just mentioned is there something about your own closeness to nature and how that has and and like the connection between those two things because you are so immersed in nature much more than other people and I often feel like people who are more immersed in nature there is a kind of that the approach to death is different mm -hmm. um, I, I suppose if you're immersed in in nature on a regular basis continuously I almost live in nature because my cabin's so small I think you see the cycle I see mm. the cycle of the plants and the trees and the bugs you see that life and death continuously is happens on a daily basis so it, that's I mean it certainly doesn't frighten me mm. at all because I see that cycle mm. one thing dies comes alive mm. yeah and the fact that you you're creating something that is essentially alive to house something that's no longer physically alive but you know it's that passing on I I feel yeah yeah do you have like a favorite in inverted commas thing to create is there something that when you make it every single time you just say I love doing this or is it I'd say it changes um but right at the moment I'm loving we do these three tier baskets so it's like three baskets on a string yes I saw that on your Instagram it's a frame basket and once you've set up the basic bare bones of it the skeleton of it, you can just sit there and weave without really thinking mm. uh, so I'm I'm really into them at the moment because I've got so much in my head with the gap year yeah. so when my hands are busy my brain is free Mm. and um it can flow better so i'm i do fight so that's i am loving that that one but it does change uh, you know i might be into rectangular baskets next month you know for some reason <laughs> yeah how long did it take you to learn to weave i was <laughs> i was weaving so when the children were young i just picked it up every now and again and wove like you do when you've got children but um, mm -hmm. I mean, the business has been running for eight years, so I've been full-time weaving for eight years. Mm. Um, and then before that, um, just on and off, on and off. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a, a kind of adult life. I find, um, I was talking to someone the other day, and I, there is definitely some kind of, something happens with when you have small children, that kind of creativity yeah. kind of comes out as almost like a... I don't know, for me, it sometimes feels like a bit of a coping mechanism, like not to say that it's all a struggle, but, you know, it's that aspect of yourself that possibly doesn't get nurtured when you're constantly, because I've got a four and a six year old and it can feel quite constant. Yeah. So having that space to create is. I think it also, I always find that when my hands are busy, my brain is settled. I don't have a chattering brain. Oh, what about this? What about that? Do, 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 you know, <laughs> um, so as soon as my hands are working, somehow my brain just settles down. So it, yeah, things, nicer things come out in my head. Do you ever use it as a way of like processing information, kind of coming up with other ideas, if you like? Yeah, definitely. And if I get stuck, if you get a blockage in your creative flow, I often just sweep up and tidy up and mm. sort out in the workshop. And as soon as I do that, 
then new ideas come in straight away. I might find a, a, a bone or something. Oh, and I just suddenly thought of an idea. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's how I manage to keep my flow going is just just keep working in the workshop, tidying up and yeah, mm. potting around. Yeah. I feel like there's there's really something about sweeping a space. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's to do with moving energy around and <laughs> seeing things differently, maybe. Yeah. And it's putting everything in its place. Yeah. When, as soon as I've got things in, in the right place, it's the end, my brain energy, my creative flow suddenly starts to flow again. Mm. I wanted to ask you about the training that you do and the way that you are, because it seems like you're quite, just kind of from reading on the website, it seems like you're quite passionate about passing it on. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't want to die with the skills and the knowledge that I've gained over my years, um, not just in willow, but in the felting and mm. my tan animal skins raw hides and things I don't want people to um I don't want to die and leave, and not pass that on to anybody else and I just want I also feel I want to inspire people that this is a beautiful way to live mm. actually not to go buy something from a shelf but actually to learn how to make it mm. and and then pass it on to your grandchildren or somebody else so we, we have had quite a lot of people come for three months for the willow weaving mm. um and I take them through certain and by the time after three months, they, they know a heck of a lot, but they do still need to practice. Mm. But they gain so much knowledge and information and they'll either know they absolutely love it and continue or they just use it as a, as a hobby. Mm -hmm. But quite a lot of people that have um, gone on and made the businesses out of it themselves, they've started making. And yeah, one, one woman who came from America, actually, um, she came for three months and then she went back and she set up a business over there making coffee. Mm. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, that's really, wow. it's exciting when that happens. That, yeah, that's really special because like you say, that's then keeping it in the local economy because it's very easy for people to say, oh, well, just there's a woman and, you know, she's up north and she makes um, coffins and, and we can just order one from her and have it shipped over. But the idea that you've created that local economy, you know, that... Yeah. Yeah, and I think the more the more makers they are, as long as I don't have somebody next door making <laughs> coffins, and that yeah, yeah, <laughs> but if somebody town, you know, yeah. they can can uh, make coffins for their local people, and I can make for mine. I'm not, I'm I don't want to make hundreds and thousands of pounds. I just mm. want to live really yeah. uh, mm. under my own steam and in a nice, comfortable way. And I don't want a Jaguar. I just want you know my van <laughs> to move the coffins. So. I I I feel we can do that. Mm. Just stay local. Mm. If, so, yeah, and encourage, try encourage people more that, especially in these times, we yeah, if we can if we can support local, our local economy will thrive, mm. not global one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because the one, because I've been thinking about it, it a lot. Um, you know, the companies that will survive this are the ones who have never had to worry. You know, it's, it's the, it's the yeah. smaller local businesses, like you say, that we should be supporting because it's like now we have this opportunity to say, right, what do I want to, what kind of a world do I want to live in? Do I want to live in a world where it's, you know, multinationals, um, huge businesses? Or do I want to live in a world where I can get a coffin from up the road or a bike basket, you know? It's, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we, we have more to say with what happens with that with mm. the money. Yeah, 
country rather than the the big government saying oh well you you go you guys there's not many in your village so you can only have this much but if we're working towards our local economy then we have much more of a say mm-hmm. so tell me about the other courses that you run and the sort of work you do in in that sort of respect um so we've got we so the other side is the felting so because I'm because the ethos is local materials and we've got lots of farmers around I thought and I spin I spin mm. you know I like to spin as well wool uh, I thought what else could we do that would um that we can make products out that would be useful and rugs rugs was one of them mm. making um so it's a it's like a sheepskin rug but with no skin so mm-hmm. no animal inside I pay the local farmers a, a good price for their fleece because they get next to nothing from the wool marketing board. Really? And they're happy. In fact, I've got farmers wanting to me to come and see their fleece at the moment. It's like, oh, I was wondering how many fleeces I can, I can handle. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've started this. I invested some money into a, a felting machine and a, a drum carder, electric drum carder. Mm-hmm. We've made these lovely um, rugs and we We've, I've just started the plant dyes last year, so we're growing lots of dyes for dyeing our own plant dyes for dyeing our own wool. Oh wow! Um, so that that'll take a little bit more for it to be really in its uh, full production. And then shrouds is another one. So oh. shrouds was in the mid. I found this lovely um, article in the mid 1600s. It was law for people to be buried in wool. So we didn't lose our wool industry. Wow. So this is written down in law. And it's like, oh, that's fascinating. Wow, yeah. Shrouds and everything. I thought, oh, we can do that. So we make shrouds, which is really just like a big, thick blanket. Mm. Felted in natural colours. And then I sometimes put a design on them, Mm. um, flowers or trees or... I've got a big one in there, which has got silver, a brown one with silver birch trees on. Mm-hmm. And so we weave a buyer, which is a, a willow body tray. It's woven around some thick branches with integrated handles. And um, I, I, I have to buy in some undyed calico. So the body gets wrapped up like a mummy with the tie mm-hmm. and then placed on the buyer and then tucked. And then a big blanket that's tucked in all around them. Um, and toddled onto the stretcher instead of a willow coffin. So it's not as popular as the willow coffin, but because it is quite edgy for some people Mm. because you do see like the uh, very there. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the body. Um, But I have a feeling that they are going to become quite popular. Yeah. It's a beautiful way and it's very easy for people to come and make their own much easier than a coffin. Wow. I do. I have had people come, and they spend five days with me and they'll card their wool and felt their big blanket and put a put a design on and um and then weave their body tray and yeah they'll go off with their shroud and body tray wow. that's a beautiful process taking people through that and it's yeah. it's very people that are sick they know they're going to die and they've and they come to the workshop and yeah we spend some time together talking about death and life and nature and making and not every most people that have come and and i've brought out this big bundle of wool and I said what are we starting <laughs> there <laughs> yeah. it's just come off the sheep that's where we start wow and 
I think just taking them through that process from the raw fleece to a end of life vessel is quite transformative for them. Mm. You're making me choke up a little bit, actually. <laughs> I can just imagine how amazing that would be. And even the process of, because my auntie, my mum always says we come from, on my mum's side, we come from a very long line of spinners and weavers. Uh. My, they're very, um, you know, they're very crafty and I've not quite got the hang of it yet. But, <laughs> but my auntie does the same. She spins her own wool. She gets the wool and dyes it and then, or spins it and then dyes it. And then she's got a loom, which she does. And just watching her, I had a go on her, um, her spinning wheel. And I found it so hard just to, you know, get that right. So I can imagine that the process, I mean, I'm only speaking personally, even just the, you know, the challenges that would come up in terms of being able to spin and, you know, you have to get the wool that, so it doesn't just pull. Cause that happened to me a few times. I just pulled it and it broke cause I pulled it too hard. And that kind of, yeah. The fact that it's such a delicate process and I would imagine that not just the whole acceptance of death but aside from that the actual creative process and the challenges that come up and in, in that in itself I can yeah imagine. it's all practice though isn't it? it's like driving mm. a car once you've, yeah. you've practiced you've got it and um um i it's it's i find it interesting encouraging people mm. keep going keep going all right take a walk now come back and keep going and then when they've got it this this how their face like wow yes <laughs> you know but you still need to practice but you yeah once you've, yeah this mm. with everything practice 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 oh absolutely and someday um, if I'm having a bad day, I can guarantee I won't make a nice basket. And, and then I kick myself, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have gone for a walk. But anyway. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, everything's a learning curve, even if it's something you've already learned before. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, tell me about the gap year, because when I ordered my basket and it arrived and it came with this little leaflet about the gap year, I just remember thinking, oh, if I was 20 years younger, I would absolutely have, you know, I, I just think it's such a wonderful opportunity. So say, I'd love to hear about it and, and for, for people to hear what, what it is and how it all works. Right. I think because, I, because people are wanting to learn new skills, there's definitely um, an, an up, what's the word people there's more people wanting to learn um natural skills and i noticed that with my courses and and people wanting to come privately i thought mm, i would really like to have some kind of center i just dreamed into it what kind of center and i thought well we have baskets we can do felting we can do spinning we can do dyeing i do lots of animal skins we've got a greenwood turner on site we can make knives we can do pokers you know we can actually take somebody from in lots of areas from the raw material to a finished product and they all come hand in hand so when somebody will come so with, with advertising for january we've only got space for three people for the first year because of the accommodation i'm just in process of uh, applying for planning permission for the field mm. uh, for, so we can take more students so um I want people to come for nine months and we'll start off by making a bodkin, which is what you need for work, for working a basket and a knife, which you need. And then we'll cut the willow and then we'll grade it 
and then we'll process it and we'll make baskets from it. And then we'll go in the spring and we'll gather the wool when they're shearing and we'll spin. And so we'll take it right back to its very core. Um, talk about what, what we're gathering, how it's grown and what does it mean? It's a lot encompassing and make the product. Yeah. But not only that, I don't, I don't to teach people, I want to. I want people to be encouraged that they can do this themselves. Actually, they could make a business from this. They could earn a living from this. It's a lot of work, but you have to be passionate about it, and um, and just showcase that. Yeah. Really showcase that we can. You can, you can do this. If I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. You know, just dream into it. Yeah. So I want it to become such a a, a skill centre where people know the skills going on there but we were also running a business so because we've got other makers I can teach for one week and somebody else can teach for another mm -hmm. uh, that they will also see that people are making baskets alongside them that they're actually selling at in our shop and online so they, they get everything they get the making they get the techniques and then they get the business side of it as well mm -hmm. how, how I manage to market it and, and make it work mm -hmm. so it becomes everything all encompassing and I think for so many young people, especially the ones that are a bit crafty and arty, but don't necessarily want to go into um, even, you know, the kind of contemporary art world, if you like, and they don't want to go into the um, quote unquote traditional, obviously, I don't mean traditional, but um, what's the word? The business world as it is, you know, the, just the idea that there's something that exists like this, that is so different, but is taking them back to something, to, to what we're all, to what we're all kind of from, if you like. And these are traditional arts that have been in most of our, you know, bloodlines yeah. for centuries, you know, yeah. everyone does, has been doing this all over the world since the year dots. And I yeah. just think it's really, um, yeah, it's amazing. It's such a wonderful offering. Uh, that thrills me, that thought, you know, that people want to keep going, that we're not going to lose what we've always had mm. from, the, from, like you say, you know, from, the, from the very beginning, we've, we've always made our things. And we can do that again in a, in a very creative way. And we do have some technology. It's not all by hand. The felting machine's electric. You know, it saves me a lot of yeah. elbows you know so there's there's a fine line isn't there we can we can bring in a bit of technology um, mm. yeah but it's not just for young people it's interesting because um it, it's do i call it gap year or call it residency because i was um, a craft market of, when we did have craft markets not that long ago <laughs> two, two elderly women and uh, they took that leaflet and they went oh she said we could we could rent our house out, they've retired, rent our house out and come and stay with you for nine months and oh, learn all wow. these things. You sure could, you know, and I would like it to be a mixed group because we can learn from the old as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's so lovely to have a mixed age group. Oh, if, if I could take nine months, <laughs> bring the kids, so we'll all just weave. That sounds incredible. Is there a reason that it's not, is it nine months? For a reason, or was that just no, no reason? It might okay. change as we're developing it more. Like I say, it's it's happening. We're going to start advertising in January for January, just mm -hmm. for three. And I'm sure it's going to change. I'm not mm. fixing things, and um, yeah, somebody might not want to do the animal t uh, tanning. Mm. You know, yeah, 
um, anything like that. So that's fine. So we've got other, we've got lots of other things that we can do. Yeah. Uh, I just wondered. I just wondered in terms of you know nine months being the the gestation period for a human and that kind of yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> right okay. <laughs> well, it's a kind of a, a cycle, isn't it? It's yeah, it the is. Last, it's the last single digit, and then you move into something different and new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's very much what it feels like. The the opportunity is is you go in with one set of skills or no skills, and you come out with, you know, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Um, so when you think about your own creativity, how does that, other than obviously the weaving, how does that kind of manifest itself in you? What's your relationship with your creativity? It's my meditation. Some people do yoga, some people mm-hmm. run. I think I just need to make things. I've, my brain is constantly thinking of ideas. If I'm gardening, suddenly an idea will come and I've got to go make it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that's, I think it's just my meditation. It's what keeps me sane. Mm. Yeah. I do swim in rivers. That's also another oh, thing. Okay. So, I'm very much a, a river swimmer, um, not so much a sea swimmer because I don't have a shower, but um, definitely a river swimmer. Tell yeah. me about tell me about that. How how did you start? When did you start? Have you always done it? And and, and how do you? Yeah, I remember as a child being in a, in a swimming club. That was that was in the baths though, and and um, swimming competitions and things like that. So I do love swimming. That that light feel power that you can do in in water it's not strenuous is it? it's not like lifting weights but there's certainly a lot of power behind it mm-hmm. but the river swimming is something quite different that's yeah, because i do love being in nature it's much yeah being able to lie on your back and float downstream is just quite a thrilling amazing experience and you just mentioned nature tell me about your connection with nature um my connection with nature I suppose I spend a lot of my time in nature even brushing my teeth I'm outside I just love the whole the whole cycle of it watching it from spring grow from tiny shoots to big flowers and then the even the dying process I also love that because I know it's going to come round again and then the stillness in the winter it's just such a it's so ingrained in me it's so it just yeah it's like my my lifeblood, really, having that connection to it and that cycle, being part of that cycle. Mm. Mm. Do you have a favourite season? Um, spring and autumn really are my favourites. I would say I love the bursting of the new shoots, and then I also like that dying process. It's coming in again. I love being, you know, winter. I also love because I like the fire being on and oh yeah, and closed and it's howling outside, and you're safe and secure in your little shed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then spring comes. It's like oh, time to come out of the cave, isn't it? And you, yeah, yeah. It's those those transitional periods, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, summer's beautiful and it's warm, but it's. Mm much stiller isn't it yeah there isn't much energy flow although it is there but it's not like the spring the bursting and then the dying down Mm. yeah Mm. um 
Where is there a space in which you feel you're most creative? Well, I suppose because my barn is like a Merlin's cave, it's like an extension of my being in a way with these herbs and there's just there's, there's just like endless things around every the gaps in the the gaps in the walls are filled with wool <laughs> and the beams have got things hang coffins hanging from them they've got baskets they've got dried herbs they've got the, you know there's just I sit in there sometimes not even making sometimes in the evening because and the mice might come out that's also fascinating the birds Aww. come in as well the, in the winter the robin comes in there's a little gap and he comes in and sings to us in the winter we don't see him much in the, in the summer but definitely in the winter the robin comes in and um picks off the, the bread the, the crumbs from your plate and things or it, we had one that got um got very friendly he used to sit on the sit on the baskets as you were making them <laughs> sometimes it's a problem when they get into the shop because then they poop on everything so <laughs> yeah sometimes I have to pause oh, I'm sorry we have this resident blackbird or something <laughs> but um yeah it is a very inspiring place very inspiring place do you have because like you said about the birds I quite like that idea they're you know if my if my basket turned up with a bit of bird poo on I'd be like oh well that's kind of part of the um what's the word experience yeah especially is, if you knew how the what the barn looked like you think oh now i know why there's <laughs> do you find you get a lot of animals in there we had last year we've got bundles of willow kind of lying around against the wall and last year um, a blackbird nested right in the middle of one of the bundles wow. so we couldn't we couldn't use that and that's um, about four chicks in there oh yeah which is a bit it is a bit of a problem because it's all full of windows so getting them out when they come out is is a bit tricky um yeah we've yeah. had a few sad, sad stories i'm afraid sometimes but oh, yeah i suppose that's all part of living like you say in nature yeah <laughs> it is what have you learnt in your kind of journey and your work that you would like to pass on to others? What have I learned? Um, I would say I've learned by perseverance. Just keep working at it. And I would say if find what you really love mm. to do, what you what really gives you a passion in life, what really makes you happy and content with yourself and happy with yourself. Find out what that is and then do it in whatever way you can if you have to live in a small house to do it do it and practice and keep keep working those small steps every little small step and mm. keep working towards that goal of following your passion mm. and you can do it you just need to be determined yeah um so my kind of last question What's your hope for the future? That we do become more local. People do support the lo local way of living. I really would like to see that to happen more and more. I suppose the transition town movement is becoming more um, available for lots of different communities. Um, yeah, and to, to embrace that community mm. and local economy and supporting each other mm. not buying everything from china and you know. sometimes i think i feel like we've um forgotten we we're so cut off from it that we've almost forgotten 
Um, and, and I think that is the good thing about lockdown is that it has forced a lot of people to start thinking locally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel yeah. like there has been quite a big push to like, you know, support your local businesses because they need you. <laughs> well, I, so I'm, this is living proof of what's happening with my business right now is you, we've had so many orders online. It's, mm. you know, people are, yeah, appreciating a handmade product yeah not something cheap and cheerful that only lasts a year you know ours should last a long long time mm. and like you say that it's i think we've kind of gone full circle actually the fact that it's it's been made and grown because that was what attracted me it wasn't just the fact that it was a handmade or oh, so, sorry hand woven basket it was the fact that it's willow that's you that's grown right that's good there that's you know that was really what drew me in it was like oh wow it's actually from here you know yeah well that's what's giving me my buzz really is yeah having the materials on my doorstep Mm. Yeah. yeah um so how can people get in contact with you where can they find you how can they buy your incredible um products um we we have a website naturally useful and facebook page and instagram page and exit so i'm pretty out there Mm. (laughs) facebook page is very interesting i do try post nice pictures of what we're doing and making and yeah things that are happening so you get a flavor of what the barn's like and Mm -hmm. yeah and so there's you'll find lots of places through email and things on there you'll find me (laughs) I feel like I want to keep talking, but I, I have no more <laughs> no more questions. But I just really, um, I really thank you for everything that you're doing and the fact that everything that you have done has led up to what you're doing right now and, and all your offerings are literally magical, I think. Even the fact that, you know, you work in a Merlin's cave. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening. She's just lovely, isn't she? And who wouldn't want to live in a cabin and work in Merlin's cave? I definitely would. In the meditation and writing prompt that follows this episode, we'll be drawing on the image of Karen's workshop as Merlin's cave and venturing into the nooks and crannies of our own creativity. As always, I'm sending you lots of love, happy writing, and I'll speak to you soon.